Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-host, Jude Nana. Jude, Anna, we've already talked about how we're doing today. So let's get into let's get into our question of the week here. What moment of television has most emotionally devastated you? I'm gonna go with the death of Jedzia Dax on this one. Mmm. Interesting. Yeah, I I loved Jedzia so much, and they like to murder her like that. How dare they? How dare they? I am going to say we. You didn't say sad. You just said emotionally devastated, which is a little bit more open ended. Yeah, I was living alone in a studio apartment in the Tender Knob region. Of San Francisco. Tender knob. Yes. That's what it's called. It's, I'm not going to get into whether or not it's a real part of San Francisco. It's just something that they call it. Uh, and I, when when Battlestar Galactica was airing, and there is an episode of Battlestar Galactica where the other ship shows up, and then that there there's the Galactica, and then the Pegasus shows up, and they fire missiles at each other, and the ships are going towards each other. Break for season. And I tomahawked my remote at the TV. I was so irritated with the choice to break the season right there. Uh, And I broke my TV. So I was angry at the show for making me wait for resolution, and I was angry at myself for breaking a free TV I found on the corner, probably because a crackhead dumped it there. So uh, it was devastating on a couple of different levels. Rest in peace, Jude's old TV. Rip. What about, what about you, Justin? So I have a joke answer and a real answer. My joke answer is uh, the Enterprise finale, uh, These Are the Voyages, because I was so fucking mad at it because it was, because I hated it and it felt like a disservice to the show because it was just like, I, I just hated it. Uh, it was the first time I truly remember hating a piece of media that I watched. Um, the real answer here um, is also Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> uh, which is the end of season one when Boomer shoots Adama. Yeah, that fuck BSG is such a. I should rewatch that show. I love that show. Apropos of absolutely nothing, the single best pilot of any television show I've ever seen. It, it, it's fantastic. Um, like that. That is that is the one show that like the soundtrack alone can get me to cry. Yeah. Yeah, the soundtrack is incredible. It's I should attempt to get through that show at some point. Yeah, I have a I have a it's it's, it's in the I don't know. You should watch the first two and a half seasons. Yeah, I was going to okay, say that's that's exactly how far I always managed to watch and then I rage quit. I think there's like a couple good stopping points. I think they most of them, like all of them are pretty much before season 4. Like the lightest, I will say, you could like comfortably like. I, I always rage quit at the time skip. I like I like the new Caprica arc for like some bits of it. I like when they yeah. drop the uh, the Galactica through the atmosphere on New Caprica, mm-hmm. and 
the 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 ships are yeah. shooting out thing and hot dogs sitting there. This is how good this scene is. I remember the name of this fucking rando three lines a season character. Hot dog is sitting there in his ship and he goes, well, this is different. Fucking love that scene. Worth it to watch the show up to that point just for the scene as he's deadpans it before he launches his ship out into the atmosphere. This is all going to make the cut, obviously. Uh, absolutely <laughs> topical to this this episode. Um, yeah, no, the, the one that the one that always gets me is um, season one, the hand of God, where Adama gives Lee Lee's grandpa's lighter. Yeah, and the Bear McCreary score is just like it's a little. It's like it's almost like Lord of the Rings level of just like Dude. just like emotionally tart heartbreaking, and he's like, "You better bring that back. It's a damn good lighter." And it's just like I'm just like, "Oh my god!" Bear McCreary is like <laughs> a wizard, S tier fucking composer. There's yeah, like uh, you can't name three other composers. I don't think you could name two other composers working in TV that that are better than him. And I think in the entire industry, I don't think you could name five. He's he's incredible. It's he's he's very he's incredible. Uh anyway, we're not talking about television composers today. Uh no, we're talking about a really fucking buckwild, tonally buckwild episode of Babylon Five. It is episode four nineteen, Between the Darkness and the Light, written by JMS and directed by David J. Eagle, another returning friend. Eagle. Eagle. Um, <laughs> this is because I've had scrubs on the raid recently. Uh, and I was just like, Eagle. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, the episode. It's a good thing we're loopy for this. The episode opens with Sheridan and Franklin having a nice chat in one of their quarters discussing Sheridan's escape. Franklin asked Sheridan how he managed it, and John demurs, saying he sent word to the Mars Resistance. Franklin asks who his contact was, and his voice changes. John has not escaped. He's in some kind of VR simulation, like Sinclair was strapped into way back in Season 1 in uh, And the Sky Full of Stars. The interrogator asks for names, codes, and John vaguely mentions numbers, and says Franklin should know that. Franklin, air quotes, ignores him and says, it's funny that people think the whole campaign against Earth was B-5's idea. John refutes this, and the interrogator gives up, commenting to an aide John hadn't previously noticed that even full of drugs, he remains uncooperative. She suggests threatening to put a bullet in his father's head, but Franklin says it won't help. They don't want him radicalized if they kill him, and if they don't follow through with it, he'll know that they're not serious about it. They don't want him to just cooperate. They want conversion. The interrogator slips something into his drink and offers it to Sheridan, who drinks it and passes out. Elsewhere on Mars, a visibly agitated Garibaldi waits for a contact, who returns from trying to put him in touch with the resistance. The contact says that he had to do some fancy talking because they heard how he betrayed Sheridan. And when Garibaldi angrily asks if he told them it wasn't his fault, he replies, with more than a little bit of a smirk, they didn't believe me, as figures rush from the shadows and jump Garibaldi. This is very satisfying. I would like more scenes like this, please. Uh, they beat him up a lot. I, should, I didn't mention that, but that's, that's why it's satisfying. They, they punch him a bunch. Uh, I get my wish. In the next 
scene, uh, under a swinging light bulb, somebody nails Garibaldi right in the kidney. He'll be peeing blood. Uh, and I cheer. The resistance is surrounding him as number one enters, followed by Franklin, for real this time, and Lita. Number one hands Franklin a PPG and says it's his right to kill Garibaldi since Sheridan was his commander. Ah, that's one way to get rid of your new boyfriend's ex. Franklin, however, wants to hear Garibaldi's side of the story. Number one is completely befuddled by this choice. They take the hood off of Garibaldi's head and Garibaldi immediately blames Bester, which no one believes. And says he has a, quote, pretty good idea where Sheridan is. Uh, again which no one believes, uh, th especially since this is exactly how he lured in Sheridan. Number one points this out and asks if she can kill Garibaldi. Uh, fashionable and ruthless. I really love number one. Uh, Garibaldi begs, which is terrific, and I definitely watched that part twice, not to let Bester end him like this, torn down with no one believing him, and then he notices Lita. He begs her to scan him and prove that he's not lying. Lita seems willing and Franklin clearly wants to try. If it was one of your people, wouldn't you want to know? Franklin asks. No, she's number one says simply and tries to fucking <laughs> face all Garibaldi, which is so what good. A, what a stone cold badass. I, I, I love, love her. number one. She's just like, I, no. And then she goes to shoot Garibaldi. Unfortunately, Franklin, despite being a doctor and a drunk and a junkie has some moves to him and manages to, dive onto her arm and make the shot go wide. Uh, meanwhile, Lita uh, <laughs> fucking busts a rifle out of somewhere in the, in the confusion and goes fucking Terminator and just like shoots around in like haymaker style over everyone's head and brings the fight to an immediate end. Um, I guess if you had a rogue telepath blasting PPG shots everywhere, you'd chill the fuck out immediately too yeah no like i've seen how pissed that lita like if i'm if i'm a if i'm number 17 um and i've seen how like pissed off lita has been like the week she's been in our like shitty tunnel compound if she has a gun on her i'm just like i want to be in a different room yeah <laughs> not not to mention she's a telepath and like is potentially projecting her yeah. anger around the also, room also Real quick, what would everybody's numbers be in the March Resistance? 37. 69. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> okay, just had to get that off the table there. Okay. okay. Continue, Jude. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, far be it for me to judge someone interrupting a summary. Franklin and Lita somehow managed to take control of the situation, despite the fact that they are outnumbered like 12 to 1. Um, and... Lita goes up to scan Garibaldi. She says his head is full of blocks, which would seem to suggest that he might not be full of shit entirely. Uh, uh, that alone. But he says, break him. She begins to scan him, and she says that they are level 12 blocks. Only a psychop could make or break them. Again, that alone would seem to suggest that he's telling the truth. And he says... Smash him. I trust you. You can do it. She goes, okay. Uh, her eyes go Vorlon mo mode and she smashes through. We get a quick flash of all the events related to Garibaldi's tampering, his abduction, his confinement, all of the things that have been going on. Uh, and when she's done, she confirms his story. Number one is like, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? I don't believe you. 
Uh, he can go to hell and lead a whips around, literally terrifying everyone who's never seen a telepath with fucking La Brea tar pit eyes and says, you can go to hell with him and brain downloads all of Garibaldi's fucking fear and anxiety and memories of this experience into number one. And number one is now like, yeah, okay, that's pretty awful. I believe you now. Once he's released, Garibaldi tells them where he thinks Sheridan is. Unfortunately, unsurprisingly, it's fuck all. He's like, it's probably over here in this general vicinity. Thankfully, the resistance knows a little bit more than him, even though they're stretched thin uh, and are able to offer a bit more guidance, but they are stretched very thin and they can offer only a skeleton crew to help them get in. Uh, the skeleton crew will turn out to be one snarky guide. I love her. She's, <laughs> yes. she's the best. Unfortunately, she does not turn into a mantis. Yes. Who, as we will discuss later, is best known for having pl- played a giant mantis on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Franklin is offended that his new girlfriend can't help more, but she gives no fucks and tells him to fuck off. So a resistance agent leads Franklin, Lita, and Garibaldi through the tunnels while she scouts ahead. They banter about gulping water. <laughs> I fucking hate this scene. It's clearly to show that Garibaldi's back to not being a fascist dick wagon. At the end of the tunnels, their, gar- their guide is like, yeah, Sheridan's not worth my life. Peace out, motherfuckers. And just like peace and just takes off. Like a mantis would. Like a mantis would. They go into the tunnels. Uh, they hear a couple of guards coming. Rather than like let the telepath take care of it or something, Garibaldi's like, I'm a big man. I got this. I'll take him on two to one and gets shanked in the back for his trouble, which is, again, quite satisfying. Franklin sutures him up and they flirt while he does so. Once he's all stitched up, they put on Earth Force uniforms and head into the compound. The guards sees Garibaldi and is like, yep, that's absolutely believable that the guy that betrayed Sheridan would be here and want to gloat. Uh, what are you up here? What are you here for? And Sheridan and Garibaldi's like, oh, well, I'm here to torture Sheridan and Franklin's here to make sure he doesn't die. And the guard's like, yeah, hundred percent. I believe that that's, that makes sense with everything I've heard about you. And we've got a person on from Psychor here to, uh, yeah. Oversee. Yeah. Seems legit. So they let him in and they get all the way to the door, the guard of the door, the guards in front of the door to Sheridan's cell. One of whom actually says the words liberal media elite when rejecting that he watches TV. And we'll talk about that later. There's a fight. They take out the door. Uh, the guards at the door. Thanks to Lita's telepathy. She yanks the door code out of one of the guards. It's actually very clever. It's like a whole thing. Um, and if it weren't for the fact that Garibaldi were there, I would enjoy this scene. And they find they get inside and they find Sheridan high as a giraffe's belly button babbling about beating the shit out of Garibaldi as soon as he sees him. They get him unhooked and they're leaving the compound when one of the guards sees the bloody patch on Garibaldi's back and the jig is up. They kill the guards and in the firefight, (laughs) I like this part, Sheridan grabs a gun, shoots one of the guards that is straggling up and then just shoots him like eight more times. He seems fine. He's doing good. He's he's coping with this well. And while he's doing it, he's looking at Garibaldi the whole time, like making eye contact. It's so good. Like, I'm thinking of you. I'm high enough still that it's easy to put your face on his body, just so you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, with the fleet, Ivanova orders the Damocles and Orion to surrender for trial uh, for trial for war crimes. 
She orders the fleet to wait with them, uh, to wait for the enemy to take the first shot, then swings in hard. The White Stars fuck up the Earth Force for ships in short order. Meanwhile, on B5, Lanier tells Delenn that Londo has convened a meeting of the League without her. She asks why, and sassy Lanier answers, I don't know, but knowing the ambassador, I'm already depressed at the options. Oh, Lanier. <laughs> uh, in the chamber, Londo is speaking about the intolerable situation, saying the Centauri will lead the way. Jakar and Veer look on as he speaks. He says they will be mobilizing every ship they have and calls for a vote just as Delenn walks in. She's all ready to get her speechifying tussle on and demands to know what's going on and say, says they can't have a vote without an Earth or Minbari representative there. He responds that, well, now that she's here, they can have the vote. It is unanimous. They are voting, it turns out, on the League mobilizing to reinforce Ivanova's fleet. They didn't want her there so that there could be no perception of her influencing the vote or there being a personal stake in it. The League stands with you, Jacquard tells her. We stand with you. Delenn, who has done a whole fuck ton of speechifying lately, can do nothing but look at them with gratitude. We are going to talk extensively about this scene later. I'm skipping over a lot here about this scene. We'll get, we'll come back to it. On Ivanova's White Star... A captured Earth Force officer is brought to her. Apparently, some of her defectors are double agents, and Clark is planning a trap at the rally point she has set up before they go on to Mars, using new advanced, air quotes, ships. Ivanova doesn't want any of the Earth ships put in danger so that Clark can make it look like it's just a bunch of alien ships threatening Earth. She wants to save the Earth Force ships who have defected for the big fight. So she wants to go ahead early with the White Stars. She tells the captain of the Agamemnon her plan and tells him to stay ready to clean up if they don't make it back. Marcus tells her to take a nap or he'll pester her about napping for the duration of the flight. He wakes her up four hours, 40, four hours later, 45 minutes from their destination. At the rendezvous point, as soon as they come out of hyperspace, the advanced vessel group follows and are revealed to be Earth Force destroyers with shadow tech grafted onto them. Basically, it's Earth Force, the standard Earth Force ships covered with space dicks is, is what we're talking about here. Uh, it's tentacle ships. When the enemy command demands surrender, Ivanova refuses in the most Ivanova way possible. He demands to know who she is, and her response is absolutely amazing. Uh, Zathras will drop in the, the, the clip here. This is Captain Jake Thompson of the Advanced Destroyer Group to enemy vessels. We have you surrounded. You are ordered to surrender your vessels or be destroyed. I say again, surrender or be destroyed. Put me on with him and give me firing control. This is the White Star Fleet. Negative on surrender. We will not stand down. Who is this? Identify yourself. Who am I? I am Susan Ivanova, commander, daughter of Andre and Sophie Ivanov. I am the right hand of vengeance and the boot that is going to kick your sorry ass all the way back to Earth, sweetheart. I am death incarnate and the last living thing that you are ever going to see. God sent me.
Zathras having predicted, I hadn't even requested it, <laughs> but Zathras knew yeah, I was no. going to want it. So already asked Anna to clip out this section for me. Zathras gets an extra ration of, of Zathras biscuits tonight for that <laughs> bit of prescience there. I love the quote. It's extremely Ivanova. The White Stars are able to take out these new destroyers, but the cost is much higher. Uh, and when they are down to a single destroyer left, a piece of wreckage hits the bridge of the White Star that Marcus and Ivanova are on. The bridge is totaled. There's a weird amount of tinfoil everywhere. And Ivanova is very obviously seriously wounded. Marcus pulls her from the wreckage and takes her from the bridge as the ship drifts. Back with the fleet, Delenn arrives and is reunited with Sheridan. He isn't ready to talk about his imprisonment, and all he wants to do is see Ivanova. They find her with Marcus watching over her, visibly bereft. Her neck is in a brace, and she appears to be unconscious, though Delenn tells him she has been in and, out of, in and out. She comes to when Sheridan takes her hand, though she is clearly in pain. She tells him she cleared the way for him to Mars, then asks him to tell her the truth. She asks him if she's going to make it. No, John says. She tells him not to be sorry, not to carry the guilt of her death. Then she asks him for a final favor. She asks him to assume command of the Agamemnon for the last battle. And that's it. So, I'm feeling a lot of emotions. Accurate. But, but I need to, I need to put something on the floor here. Okay. We get an entire, like, scene devoted to a vote about, about the aliens deciding that we need to get involved. We need to, we need to, like, come to the aid of Earth. How the fuck do we not have the Rohirrim showing up in the middle of this battle to save the day? It's just like, it's fucking like writerly negligence at this point. Just wait for it. There's a lot going on here, but yeah. yeah. I Let's start with that scene, because that is like yeah. my favorite scene I, of this episode by a wide yeah. margin. God, Londo, Londo is not, I doesn't get a free pass for being, you know, Londo, no. but he's so good in that scene where he is like you guys like Sheridan was there for us in a way that nobody else would have been he's like hey game ambassador would you have put yourself on the line for this guy and the game's like nope <laughs> like <laughs> but Sheridan did it so he's like you're gonna go get Sheridan well fucking we got your back I it's such a good scene yeah and then the bit where Jakar says uh, it's not just morally right, or it's not just politically right, but morally right. And then Vera's like, when you've got both of those things going for you, like, you fucking run with it. I love Veer in the scene, too, that he looks so much lighter than we've seen him. Yeah, yeah. he looks like... And like I'm, you know, I'm not talking physically lighter here because no, you know, there I have know. been some physical changes in Stephen First for, since you know yeah. a couple of seasons ago. But like you know his face, like you know there there seems to be a like he seems so so much happier and more at peace with like you know being able to do something and like yeah, well clearly I mean working with Londo to do this kind of good is clearly such a different experience for him. He's clearly so much fe feeling so much more pure about what he's doing, being able to help his friends and save his friends rather than do dirty deals behind their back for someone like Veer has to feel so good. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. I absolutely love that scene. And like Lando might be still wheeling and dealing, but he's wheeling and dealing on, 
on the side of light now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Londo's arc, I think, is fascinating here where he's it doesn't make what he's done. okay, but it's clearly he's going through like an art, like not a redemption arc, but like he's an atonement atonement arc, I think, is a good way of putting it. He's come through the other side. He's feeling like, I don't know, it just works. Having okay, so having watched Avatar: The Last Airbender recently, I feel like Lando and Uncle Iro have some similarities. I see where you're going with that. Yeah, as soon as you said Avatar, I knew exactly what you were going to say there, and yeah, yeah, I get that. Because people talk about like Zuko's redemption arc in Avatar, but I feel like the far more interesting one is Iro's arc. Yeah. 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 No, somebody who did some fucked up shit, but like found. A redemption arc, yeah. An atonement arc. Yeah, no, I love Londo here. Um, I, I think it's also a really interesting scene as far as a thesis statement about why B5 matters and why humanity matters. Like, I think this scene is one of two scenes in these in this last batch of episodes that are not even one scene. This, this scene really is summarizing JMS's thesis for why humans are important on the galactic scale. The idea that they are the common ground for all these other races to come together. And they, they're kind of the glue mm-hmm. that ties this alliance together. And that's what makes yeah. them important. I feel like this is what Delenn was trying to get at with the like humans form communities and that's why they're dangerous yeah. thing. You know, I think that this is the far better implementation of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I can't say enough good things about this scene. This episode's got some ups and downs, but this scene slaps. It's so good. It's so pure. And everybody that you care about in this scene, like Jakar looks so tickled to be able to be in this scene. And, to, and when he says morally, it is even wiser. And he looks so happy to be like one-upping Londo with like, the moral wisdom, but they're on the same side in this one. It's so good. It's it's perfect. I just, just heart emojis everywhere. Other, other stuff about this episode that uh, I did like, random thought, uh, it never occurred to me until this episode that Clark is not a character. He's a name. Yep. Yeah. Like from everything that has been seen, he is a, he's a bit of a nobody. Like, like he's a, ter- a bit of a nothing. Like, it is just, he is somebody who has assumed a lot of authoritarian control. And he's not even the one who's necessarily assumed it yeah. in some ways. Like, that it's been assumed for him. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty cl- I think it's pretty clear that, like, he has been, like, like he, he's been one of the people dealing with the shadows, like, directly. We'll see more about that in the future here. Uh, but he's clearly not a, a puppet. Like, yeah. But yeah, he, it's he's, just, not, he's not a puppet, but like, you know, he's uh, not necessarily the one like completely leading the charge on some of this either. I think it's more to me, the way I have always interpreted it is more that like, I think it was intentional to keep Clark as a figure that is like removed from the narrative mm-hmm. so that he remains. Because if you put a face on him, he becomes the actor. He becomes fallible to how well the actor can portray him or the performance. But as long as Clark is a a name that the that is executing these terrible things, he has more power that way. And I think that was probably intentional by JMS. There's also the aspect of like in terms of 
control over the fandom. If you don't, like, give him screen time, then you don't risk the things, the thing where, like, you end up with a very charismatic actor playing somebody really evil. And then, like, all the people are like, no, that person's actually okay. Yeah. Yeah. We love Loki. (laughs) Yeah. Other notes that I made here. Uh, the first mistake they made was thinking that Sheridan has or ever will have a one-on-one conversation with Franklin in one of their quarters. Um, I know, in fact, that they have done that, but I, I, th- I, I was going to not miss an opportunity to dunk on Franklin like that. And, and also the thing with the coffee. Yeah. They should know that there isn't coffee on that station. I mean, that's the, that's the reason they have Sheridan drugged up to his gills. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I, I like I like that Lita can just like go up to a dude and say "pain" and <laughs> pull up the ground. Yeah. The acting on that is so good too. God, yeah, it's tremendous. Yeah, she's like it's it's just the right amount of extra. I love the uh, Patricia Tallman is low key one of my like favorite parts of season four of like the back half of of B five. She brings yeah. it every single episode. Absolutely. She's really she's really enjoyable to watch. Like, you know, especially we've had a lot of poor Lita moments, but I really also enjoy how pissed off she gets. Yeah. About all of it. Yeah. yeah. Don't fuck with Lita. Uh I feel like yeah. she's got a breaking point. And if you are God help you if you if you're if you become the target of her frustration when she hits a breaking point. Because she's clearly I guess higher than a P twelve at this point. Oh, for sure, Zs. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what's above a P12. I mean, a P13. I'm not, I, I can count, obviously. But, like, she's P something. She's... I mean, she's I, she's yeah. what they were trying to do with Ironheart. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna... I'm going to um, be real here and say that uh, this is the episode where I always stop watching Babylon 5. Um, yeah. I stop watching when the debris hits the window, and then I walk away. And this is not this is not a good foreboding for the next couple episodes, guys. Uh, that scene, uh, the scene at the end where Marcus just stands there weeping while Ivanova talks to—that's some of the worst of it. Yeah, that's one. That is like off the top of my head. There are like three scenes, that being one of them, that are just hard to watch, and that's one mm-hmm. of them because he is just bereft in that scene uh especially because they have that cute little scene before that where they're arguing about napping and then she wakes up and it turns out that she's learned more minbari and she has learned what the minbari he told her early you know before greeting the the minbari greeting and now he knows now she knows what it is and it's like it's it's more or less acknowledged that she knows how he feels at this point and so, of course, yeah. they throw a piece of space debris at her. Yeah. So, so Justin, for for context, there, you know, with the with the this is why I quit watching is because I don't want to watch the scene. You know, a lot of it is because I don't yeah, want I, to watch the spe- specific scene at the end of this episode that I yeah. did watch today, and I don't want to say that I regret watching it, but. It was a lot. Yeah, it's that scene is everybody is bringing their A game in that scene. We should really have we should probably 
tack a content warning at the top of this episode uh, for discussions of like end of life stuff. But that scene, I I have not personally ever been with someone at at, at the end of life. But that scene where Ivanova is like struggling to get through and like struggling against the the neck brace and stuff that's hard to watch that's yeah as somebody who has had those experiences that is fucking hard to watch yeah i so i get why that would be a tap out situation for you uh or anyone that is that has been through that kind of a situation so and I'll, and I'll be clear. I tapped out of this before those partic- before Theo. I had those particular life experiences, but it was uh, it was quite the experience to watch it again. My only other note: I have a shock. Considering how much happens in this episode, I have a shockingly short amount of notes. Yeah, it's it's sort of an episode that I'm like it's a lot to take in, so it's hard to like. Well, it's also what it's also an episode where. It's relatively narratively straightforward. Like the summary kind of covers all the basics. And like, other than that scene at the end and the scene in the council chamber, there's not a lot of like layers to a lot of what's happening. Like there's a space battle. They, they Mm -hmm. banter in a tunnel. Like there's not a lot. I mean, I will say I do hate the banter in the tunnels. Like I don't want Garibaldi to be like, we were we did mention last episode that we were going to talk about this, so we will yeah. talk. Let, let's, let's let's get this out of the way. They make it seem like Garibaldi's unredeemable in the when he's when Bester abandons him. Like your friends will never forgive you, and blah blah and blah blah. blah. Like and then it's like, minutes. yeah, they're like, oh, Bester did it. All is forgiven. Did you take the big gulp of water? I didn't take the big gulp of water, and it's like, fuck you guys. Fuck all of you guys. Garibaldi sucks, and I don't want him back. Can you please shoot him? Where's number one? Can we bring number one back? Can we replace Garibaldi with number one? She'd be a better security chief. Oh, God, she'd be so good. Man, was Garibaldi fucking lucky that it was Franklin, right? Oh, yeah. If it had been anyone else, yeah. If it had been a, like cooling stain on the floor yeah if it had been literally anyone that had that he had not helped wax their chest they'd he'd be dead but it's gear it's his ex-boyfriend so he gets he gets like that extra moment of pity that gives him the the window to get Lita to read his mind yeah because i don't certainly ivanova would not have given him that moment corwin wouldn't have marcus wouldn't have and I, I feel like the Lita reading his mind also like like it works narratively, but also it doesn't because like we like we were talking about in the last episode, it's not like this was a major fundamental personality shift where it was like alternate Garibaldi. Yeah. Like and and Lita knows this because she well, yeah, you know witnessed yes. ex- Bester say exactly what he did. So That's what I ha- that's the problem I have with this episode. Is you're 100 percent right. I'm, I'm. I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. I just. We're very enthusiastic about this point. Yeah, you're 100 percent right, but the show thinks you're wrong, in that the show m- agreed with you until now, and now it is making the point that oh, except when you look at all the things that happened, clearly Bester's at fault. Like exactly what was done to Garibaldi almost 
like is portrayed as not mattering because Bester did it. It's almost yeah. like just by invoking the fucking Hobgoblin's name, it excuses everything that he did. If we say Bester three times while staring into a bathroom mirror, um, does that fix the plot hole? I mean, I believe it. Do we want to talk about the, the, the guest actor in this episode? Yes. 100%. For our, we have a segment, in case you are a new listener, and we have not done this segment in a while, which we haven't. <laughs> this segment is, hey, I know that face. Your guide to 90s bit sci-fi actors. And we have not had a contender for this bit quite as perfect as this episode's contender. Musetta Vander, who plays the resistance agent that leads Garibaldi, Franklin, and Lita through the tunnels, is the definition of a 90s bit sci-fi actor. She has been on a fucking bewildering number of sci-fi shows. She's been on Stargate, Buffy, literally every show in the 90s that was genre adjacent. But she was only ever in one, maybe two episodes. Didn't she play a sexy gold? Yes, she plays a sexy gold. Yeah, she did. Uh, no, she, it's a Jaffa priest. It's a Jaffa whatever. priest. Um, um, I was close. So, yeah, she has 82 credits over 36 years. Uh, which honestly, great. I do, however, want to bring up my favorite thing that I saw in here. It's not that she plays the Mantis teacher from the first season episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, that's a great one. No, my favorite one is this random show I found, which she did seven episodes of. Do not pull it up yet because I want to. I want. I want to describe this to you first. Okay. It is called Super Force. It premiered oh. in 1990, and I'm going to read you the description. In the year 2020. An astronaut becomes a vigilante when he returns from a mission to learn his cop brother's been murdered. <laughs> I want you to guess how many episodes this has. Anna, you go first. Uh, 45. Jude. Six. Anna, it is 48. Fuck. Fuck you. How did that get 48 episodes? <laughs> Jesus, I hate that. <laughs> Vigilante astronaut. Hey, there was some weird shit I mean, in the 90s. Yes. Uh, okay, pop quiz. What is your favorite extremely 90s genre TV show? Quantum Leap. Oh, that's too good. That's too good of a show. I'm, that's, I mean, I'm talking about, for example, my two favorites, two-way tie between Forever Night, K-N-I-G-H-T, about a, I want to say, uh, what is he? He's like a 15th century monk who becomes a detective in in Canada and falls in love with the uh, the medical examiner who is trying to cure him of his vampirism. Meanwhile, <laughs> Wait, his... Uh, hold on, I'm not done yet. Meanwhile, his master is a DJ that plays weird music, played by, I want to say John Delancey, but I'm probably wrong. But it's... And then his ex-girlfriend is, is runs the local goth club. This show was fucking bananas and great he could fly he had a an overweight partner that was never that never cottoned on to the fact that his partner was a was a fucking vampire named god what was his partner's name he had a really silly n- name this is gonna bother me i have to look it up now his name the character's name is donald shanky shanky that's right oh my god i i can't remember Me- who played his his master but uh, his name is Nigel Bennett. You would know him if you saw a picture of him. He was in a bunch of stuff. 
Meanwhile, my my uh, I I still am going with the classics of Quantum Leap and MacGyver. So looking at looking at Nigel Barrett's uh, Wikipedia page, the thing that I immediately notice is he played Mastermind in the X Men animated series. <laughs> nice. So my choice is going to be the Highlander TV show. Yes, that is the correct. That is a, an extremely good answer. I fucking love that answer. Part of that is like. Most of my like, most of like my ninety sci-fi is Star Trek. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like B five isn't bad enough to get to to slide in there. Um, and it's it's like yeah, and and like Farscape is like too late for it to be nineties. Yeah, I also would have accepted Sequest, uh, Sequest DSV, also valid. My secondary answer to this question, by the way, uh, is. A TV show that, believe it or not, is actually made in 2007, <laughs> but I but falls into this category because it is e- essentially the exact same dumb garbage as Forever Night. It's called Blood Ties, <laughs> and it is set in Toronto instead of uh, what is it, wherever Forever Night was set, and it's about Henry Fitzroy, the illegitimate son of Henry VIII, who is a vampire, and uh hooks up with a private detective. Oh, God. Are people going to be describing these the way, like, are people going to be describing, like, Lucifer in this way? In- God, I hope so. <laughs> so he's, he is the literal devil, but he's also stage, he's a stage magician. Like, Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I also did not have cable or anything resembling cable. Uh, when I was a kid in the 90s. And so mostly I just watched Star Trek, the West Wing, and Babylon 5 off of like bootlegs from Friends mm-hmm. and anything that was on PBS. So I watched a lot of murder. VR5 also would have been a good answer. I, I legitimately never knew about show before. Like, like, okay, like, there, there's, there's, I a, there's a, a lot of bad TV. I was basically like, raised by okay, television. You know, the, okay, no, there is an answer to the worst '90s thing I watched. Okay, it's Bible Man. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, nice. We're not, we're not talking about that on the podcast, though. I refuse. Are we done? I feel like we should wrap this up. I just blew uh, like we, five we whole minutes talking, talking about. Bible about- Man. We, we we are so done with this episode. We're, this is just if you if you've listened this long, listeners, like please let us know because I want to like say I would ask you what is wrong with you. I'm pretty yeah. sure all of this is fucking getting cut. If you no oh. no Zathras, leave it in. And if you listener for some reason actually watched Forever Night or Blood Ties. Hit me up on Twitter. We'll we'll talk about weird historical vampire TV shows of the late 90s and early 2000s. It'll be fun. I do have one thing that we said Please. that we were going to talk about and then we didn't. Okay. Which is that one fucking guard who has the like liberal media <laughs> elite thing. That's so yes, funny. The guy, the guy that goes full full Trump Twitter Twitter account. He's also on, he's also literally isn't he the, literally the same dude that says something about loyal to the new order? No, 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 no. That that's that's the that's the that that's the dude on the ship who's like describing, uh, like the the people who oh, are right, alive. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Different dudes. No, he's he he's just like 
I don't know. I don't watch TV. It's it, it's all degenerate garbage produced uh, by the liberal media elite to to erode your minds. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> QAnon. Yeah, Jesus it's uh, it's kind of spooky. The degree to which JMS predicted uh, our current political climate does not make me comfortable. I mean, that's a thing that was being said in 1995. All you have to do is listen to anything Rush Limbaugh said. I'd rather not. I, I mean, nobody wants to. But I mean, um, he's dead, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember celebrating that on Twitter. Yes, he died in February this year. Fuck God yeah. bless. All right, God bless. <laughs> on that note, this is uh, been next a great time. episode. Next time, yeah, yeah. We next have an time, even sadder episode. No. Yeah. Uh, By like a lot sadder, not a little sadder, like a lot sadder. I'm gonna have like two weeks to like buffer myself and get into a good emotional state for this. So next time we're gonna be covering Endgame. I'm probably gonna like die watching this. So um, until next time, God sent me. <laughs> the Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. recording.